Hello, everybody. We are live. How is everybody? Welcome to everybody who's here on YouTube, and welcome to those of you who are listening on your favorite streaming service. It's good to have you here today. I am here with Negs. Hello, Negs and Peebus. Hello, Clara and, and Pebbles. She's going to be joining us for scritches this morning. Joining us for scritches. That's great. So what we are doing now is we are waiting for the guests to show up. Um, Robbie Travers, in full disclosure, Robbie and I have been Facebook friends for many, many, many years. And Robbie is someone who has never been shy about expressing his opinion on any controversial subject. Um, I was just telling Negs that Clive and Dennis, Clive Simpson and Dennis Cavanaugh, have been attending Robbie's Twitter spaces. And they're saying that Robbie's Twitter spaces are amazing and very well attended, and that he's very, very knowledgeable on all the latest madness that's going on in Scotland, particularly with regards to the whole trans issue. So uh, we're just waiting for Robbie to show up. He's downloading mm -hmm. Chrome as we speak. So once all that is done and he's on StreamYard, he'll be joining us. Yes, um, and if you hear any uh, snorts or grunts, that's neither one of us. It's this floof ball right here. For those of you that can't see. <laughs> and we have Robbie. Robbie, hello. Hello. How are hello, you? Robbie. I'm doing well. How are you guys doing? You know that I was telling Negs that we've been Facebook friends for years and we've never actually spoken to each other. So this is very yeah. cool. This is a good, this is a good <laughs> first meeting. So welcome. Taking them off. Yeah, no, I've, I've, I've been friends with you since I think about 2014 or 2015. Certainly. A long time. Yeah. yeah. Wow. A long time. So Robbie, I want you to um, introduce yourself to the people listening. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your background? Perfect. Thanks. So my background is essentially that I went and studied law at Edinburgh University. I continued on to study law at master's level. I then continued on to work in political consultancy with a particular view on consultancy law and then worked at US think tank, uh, the Gateshead Institute. And then I moved from there into working in constitutional law in the United Kingdom, particularly regarding the state of play with Scotland and Scotland's independence. And from there, that's where I've moved to, and my speciality largely are including constitutional law, but I've also moved a great deal also since those days and since my student days into opposing what I call gender ideology and queer theory, which I think mm -hmm. are really dangerous. I think mm -hmm. they're corrosive. I think one of the great tests was uh, Daniel Dennett once referred to universal acid as a concept, something that erodes everything. It's so corrosive. Right. I really do think that queer theory and gender identity ideology can be referred to as a universal asset. They really do corrode so much. And I think that that's where I've come from and seen this. You know, we've seen women's rights struggling and being fundamentally eroded, as well as the rights of same-sex attracted individuals. So gay and bisexual people are also taking a real hit here. So what was it that first what was the what was the catalyst what drew you into becoming um and i i will say this i have decided i'm no longer going to use the term gender critical because it's so negative yeah. i like dennis kavanaugh's biological realist instead because it's very positive and it's basically the same thing and that's negs's dog snorting if you hear <laughs> i'll put her down <laughs> I agree. I actually totally agree with you. And here's what I would tell you about it as well. Gender critical is a legal fiction that was obviously created 
so that we could have a protected belief in UK law. So essentially, it would be protected as something that is a belief. Now, I, I don't even say that I'm a kind of biological realist. I say I'm a normal person from six years ago. <laughs> I believe that I believe that you can't change sex that men are men and women are women. This mm-hmm. was a normal belief six years yes. ago. It was not mm-hmm. a belief that would see the police call to your home or you face disciplinary action from people in HR who have lurid colours of hair but don't really know the actual law. This mm-hmm. is the situation which we find ourselves in. And mm-hmm. I think that I totally agree. What drew me to this, though, as, you, as your question, was that I was piqued peaked as they like to call it by the wonderful Magdalene Burns who I'm sure you might be aware of I, she, I adored her yeah so she, I, Magdalene for those who aren't aware who have watched her YouTube content never had the pleasure of meeting Magdalene was exactly as she was on YouTube in real life you know there was no character created she was that and I went along to a meeting of Edinburgh University's feminist uh, society and the women's group because Magdalene said well all the men are going along anyway you should come along and see how mad it is. And one of the most worrying things that happened was the individual got up and said that anyone who refused to have sexual intercourse with a penis should be expelled from the university. Wow. Rape culture enshrined. I mean, under his eye, under his eye, quite frankly. It was that level of, under that level of, you know, of idea. And I essentially thought, because Magdalene before this had been saying, it's really bad. This ideology is really bad. And I, I knew it was bad as in I didn't like it, but I didn't know how widespread it was or how spreading it was or how many people were buying into it. And at that point, I noticed it. And then Magdalene repeatedly was investigated by the university, at which point I was always called in as, you spoke to Miss Burns. What did Miss Burns say to you? Uh, is this relevant? You know, uh, bear in mind, this is this is Stasi-style questioning, mm-hmm. frankly. Yeah. You know, that, that's, that's a Stasi-style question. What did you say to this woman? Uh, we had a conversation. No, what did you say to her? Frankly, it's really concerning. And for those of you who don't know, Magdalene Burns was a lesbian who tragically died uh, very, very young of a brain tumor, and she went down with her boots on. Magdalene was amazing because back when this uh, the, this gender ideology business was very new, let's say, on social media. And you had people like Riley J. Dennis and others who were on, you know, preaching the whole be kind ideology. Um, Magdalene was the one who was shouting bullshit. Magdalene was the canary in the coal mine. And Magdalene was the one who was raising the alarm about what was happening and how lesbians were being targeted and erased. And, you know, she developed a very strong following, but she also developed a lot. She accumulated a lot of critics um, in the university as well. I don't remember what she was studying. I think physics or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Um, and so Magdalene was like a prophet, like an oracle. Uh, and then she was cut down, but luckily a lot of people took up the mantle. But it took a lot of guts for Madeline to do what she was doing when she was doing it. She had no she had almost no support to be when she started it, she had almost no support. There was a very limited number of individuals who were involved in it. Uh, a lot of very brave women who had been talking about this for years. But in terms of on the online spaces, it was very contained to a very select number of people. Now, obviously, since then, GC, and another reason why I don't like GC, is GC has exploded to include individuals of almost every position who don't believe you can change sex. Right. So, for example, if I was to say to you, I'm GC, well, that means I could either agree with Matt Walsh 
or I could agree with some of you know someone like Mariam Namatsi, who is you know a revolutionary communist uh, and Iranian right. revolutionary. You know, these are two incredibly different people, but they're both GC. So that's one of the other problems with GC. It it really is just one single belief in which you know you can have come from it from many different angles. Mm-hmm. You know, Christian. You could be a really Christian conservative and come and be GC technically, but you can also be GC and be a uh, you know, a, a, a communist or a revolutionary is one of these mm-hmm. very interesting things. Mm-hmm. But I think that that's what has to be noted about the, the whole idea of GC. Before there was GC, there was people who were simply saying, we are we are absolutely repelled by this nonsense. Mm-hmm. We don't like this nonsense. We don't want this. We want to have a truth-based dialogue and a truth-based society. And one of the things that Mag- Madeline said to me, and I think it was right, was she pointed out about Donald Trump. Donald Trump everyone was treating as a problem rather than a sign of a greater problem in our society about post-truth. Right. And Magdalene really was really excellent on this. She said, everyone's pointing at him and no one's seeing the causes. The causes are that we're no longer discussing about experts. We're no longer (coughs) discussing about serious opinions and things that we know as a matter of law. People are essentially dismissing opinions from lifelong, you know, feminist activists and instead saying, look at what I found on Tumblr. And this idea that we can simply dismiss the truth and that we can undermine, you know, any form of objective reality mm-hmm. was what has not only has it fueled Trump, it's fueled kind of this queer theory ideology. That's mm-hmm. what's really happened here. And I think mm-hmm. that's what's really worrying. And Magdalene saw this coming a mile off and she said, you know, we can all get stuck up on Trump or we can fight what's coming as a growing movement and a growing kind of attack on truth. Mm-hmm. I think it's so important that that was raised and discussed. Yeah. Do you feel like they maybe use Trump to, you know, perpetuate their narrative? I think it's an interesting one because I would, I would agree. And I would say that he became a very useful, I mean, <laughs> essentially Trump in many ways was awful purely because of his consistent lying and undermining democratic norms. Mm-hmm. But what Trump also was, was very useful because people could lazily hate him in public. So for example, there are, were a million and one <laughs> good reasons to despise Donald Trump. But then you would have people say, Donald Trump's a transphobe who's killed millions of trans people. Well, no, that's that's, that's <laughs> not true. You know, you encounter this all the time. This what what we call hyperbole. You know, complete hyperbolic allegation with no fact behind it. Mm-hmm. And the problem is that I think when you get into a situation where it's easy to despise someone, even if there's rightful causes to despise someone, what we saw was individuals creep in because there's no need to prove why they despise him on such a cause. And you can essentially use that as a Trojan horse. That's what a lot of this has become as well. It's about using things as a Trojan horse. So, for example, they'll say, you, you, you oppose homophobia. And it, most people, rational, logical people, will say, yes, we do. And they'll go, great. So you also oppose how trans people are being treated because there's an, uh, you know, there's an epidemic of anti-trans violence. You go, well, can I see? No, 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 you're a homophobe. No, 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 you're a transphobe. It's all about kind of using established causes to further the ideology. And that's what's really damaging and really worrying because actually it's becoming a parasite in a way. Right. Um, And the thing is, I mean, I'm sure that you heard uh, Joe Biden's remarks at the White House ceremony uh, Mm -hmm. making gay marriage officially the law of the land. And I have to say... um, Having voted for Joe Biden, uh, because there was no way in hell that I was going to vote for Trump, and I sure as hell was going to vote. But honestly, I'm I'm absolutely amazed 
by the moves that the Biden White House has made, first inviting, you know, Dylan Mulvaney in. And I understand he's a very big star on TikTok and, and, you know, you want to court the youth vote and that kind of thing. But then to go as far as Biden did in his remarks, I mean, I've been wondering for two years now who the hell is advising this man. But, you know, there is now a situation in this country where you have two political parties that have been basically kidnapped by the extremes. Mm -hmm. And you have a whole bunch of people who maybe in the middle, maybe leaning one way or the other, who are like, what what is this? What is happening? Me. (laughs) I have no (laughs) idea. I've I've been left politically homeless. Me too. I I voted for Trump um, because it was a big deal in our family. I have a very conservative family, but not so conservative that it's there's bigotry running amok and, you know, we're held to uh, theological uh, expectations (laughs) or whatever. But we we voted for Trump. And then, like, you know, after about two years of that, I went, oh, man, Um, because before that, I voted for uh, Obama. And then that's what made me leave the Democrat Party was how that turned out. Um, we were basically destitute by the time I into his term bankrupt. <laughs> and then after Trump, I was labeled all these tropes and my life was being threatened. So I was like, I don't want to do with any of these political parties at this point. But I think that's a real issue that you're going beyond the kind of GC element is that people don't understand this. There are people who went out and voted Obama twice in a row and then right. voted for Trump. Right. And, and these people are not inherently evil. They're not inherently bad. They simply were, and I think something that happened was, I think Clinton was a very poor candidate in some ways at that time. And I, I'm not saying this because I'm going, oh, her emails, but she failed to inspire charisma. <coughs> now, I think there's a difference between a cult of loyalty, which you know people like Trump and Corbyn had, that essentially will defend them from anything, and inspiring people to come out and vote. And I think Clinton was actually quite poor on that. And mm-hmm. I really do think in retrospect that's the case. What I would say regarding this, though, is that this demonization and polarization has kicked in. There are people who are impure and have a great impurity for how they have voted or things they have believed or things they have expressed. Now, I think that's kicking in and there's a new puritanicalism in our society. And it's a nasty puritanicalism. You know, people who voted for Trump are not bad people in many cases. They are people who had concerns that were not being addressed. And actually, I think Biden knew that. And I actually think Biden, how Biden ran his campaign is totally different to how Biden governed. Biden mm-hmm. essentially was, we're sick of this man who tweets nonsense, who has no grip on this country, who's failing on all sorts of metrics. But then what you've seen is what's happened with Biden. So you have the hiring of Sam Brinton, a man who has a lot of baggage, not necessarily all his own. Right. And then you have, <laughs> but then you have all of these other individuals who are also flocking in, Rachel Levine. And then what you see is that this actually comes down to a basic principle of ideology that we need to tackle here, which is that if you accept that one person can change sex, then then where is the line drawn? I think it's really important here. You know, when we're discussing Sam Brinton and when we're discussing Rachel Levine, if you're talking about individuals can change sex, then who is the arbiter of that? At what point do individuals change sex? Mm -hmm. And then it becomes impossible to gatekeep because it's an ideological claim. And therefore, it gets to a point where people get called bigots. So therefore, as what happened mm-hmm. in the UK with our charity, LGB charity, Stonewall, they said acceptance without exception. 
So therefore, there were no exceptions. There was no ability. And I will say this now, exclusion is sometimes helpful. It is sometimes necessary. Right. Categories are based on exclusion. So if you essentially say all these people, who, all the people who say that are women are women, there's no, no, there's no need for anything, then what does the category of women convey? What do people understand to be a woman? So in a way, Biden's kind of backed into a corner by all of this. And the reason why he's backed into a corner is he can't possibly say that someone who says that a woman is not a woman. Just mm-hmm. being very blessed, but Biden can't say that in any way. So he's being held hostage by activists. Right. He's held hostage. He blink twice if you're safe, but he mm-hmm. can't because in any way he cannot deviate from that message because mm-hmm. the message is everyone is valid for any reason and you cannot in any way contradict the claims of another person. Mm-hmm. Now that's an epistemological nightmare. Mm-hmm. You know, for, for anyone who wants a truth based society or truth based dialogue, that's a nightmare. But the thing is Biden right. can't oppose it. Well, you know, it's funny because Barry said something that really summed it up in the live stream that he did with you, which was there is no other condition where somebody comes forward and claims that they identify as something or they are something which they clearly are not. Mm-hmm. And have the medical profession then alter their bodies to match what they see themselves as being. So for example, I keep thinking of this case. It was on Dr. Phil. It was a woman who identified as blind and she found a therapist who blinded her. Oh Mm -hmm. my God. And then after she was blinded, she regretted it. And she goes (laughs) on Dr. Phil. And my question was, um, was this therapist, did he have his license revoked and was he jailed? But that yeah. is a normal reaction. There are people who identify as disabled. They identify as quadriplegic. They identify in that way. Does that mean then that you can go to a doctor and have them remove your legs or remove your arms? No, that is malpractice. So this is the only situation where we find that the medical profession is all in with operating and and the thing is if you're an adult it's bad enough okay but there are cases i think that that where a person is legitimately so distressed by what they see when they look in a mirror that they feel that it is their prerogative to go in and get operated on fine but when you're talking then about children we're getting into a very different area when you're talking about young women who are cutters and who go into a doctor's mm-hmm. office displaying signs of cutting scars, and then the doctor cuts her breasts off. You know, it does make you wonder what the hell is going on. Can I, I there's something I saw this morning I wanted to bring up during this podcast, and uh, that was the, the, the fact that Cambridge Dictionary had changed the definition of man and woman. I don't know if you guys mm-hmm. saw that. Um, I want to read it and then make my point here. It says, man now, it says, uh, basically man is now, it includes the definition adult who lives and identifies as a male, even though they have been said to be, have a different sex at, at birth. Now, the key word they use in this new definition is adult. So they've redefined it. They, to, like you're saying, they're just moving goalposts. They're like, they, they redefined man and woman, mm-hmm. but they've left out children. So now how are they going to explain that? Because they've rechanged, they've changed the definition but it only includes adults in the definition. Mm-hmm. I just found that interesting. I think, I think as well, when we're talking about words having meaning, there's a clear ability here and strength of the opposing side to do something quite clever and insidious. And it's to change language purposefully, firstly, to create a clerical class language. 
-hmm. So to be able to communicate with these people, you need to be able to completely recite the current terms. You need to know exactly everything from agender to asexual to um, what is it now? Um, I think it's allo allosexual, which means that it's essentially allosexual is a term for people who are actually attracted to people. It's essentially the cisgender of the sexual world. This is okay. a clerical language. This is complex. And what right. it's doing is it's creating for people identities that they can use and weaponize against other people. It's creating grievances. That's really all it is. And I think that's really important to note. The second thing I think is important to note about it is that it's inherently restrictive on a basis that it is designed to trip people up, mm -hmm. especially older people, especially people who they can remove. If you're sitting there in a HR situation, and a lot of the cases that I know people and lawyers have dealt with in the UK are a younger co-worker reporting an older colleague for saying something, for example, that apparently offended a non-binary community or offended the agender community. It's about catching people out. But also, if you're communicating, for example, when you say something like, oh, well, I'm queer or I represent the queer lobby, what does queer mean? Who does right. queer represent? It's, it's fundamentally open to everyone being able to identify into the bracket, which is, mm -hmm. in my view, totally bizarre. And mm -hmm. I think it's totally bizarre on a really important level that when I, when I communicate to you, if you know you were to say to me, I'm a woman, I understand what a woman is. Well, I'm maybe one of the last few who do, but that, you know, that has a meaning. That word has meaning. We understand what a woman is. You're saying you're an adult human and a female. If you say you're queer, well, what does that communicate? Mm -hmm. You could be anything. Mm -hmm. You could be a polysexual, demigendered demiboy. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously that means nothing. But the right. point is, you know, queer as a whole, as a catch-all label, is actually eroding our ability to have any meaningful discussion. Because if you don't know what you're discussing, how do you have any points about that? How do you have any ability to analyze that? And also, frankly, it allows for colonization. So I don't know if you guys follow WokeLeaks at The Spectator. It is quite old now, but it was a celebrity who was talking about the culture in Hollywood. One of my favorite things was he talked about an individual who was a, a large celebrity who dresses up in women's clothes and whips Eastern Ukrainian women as part of their fetish. And they were talking about this. <laughs> That's oddly now, specific. Now, if it was a man, if it was a man mm -hmm. who was doing that, I wonder how well that would go down with certain sections. Mm -hmm. I don't think it would at all. But immediately this man goes, ah, but I'm queer, you see. And oh. I'm wearing women's clothes. And people go, oh, how stunning and brave. You're expressing your... And obviously he calls himself a lesbian in those sexual counters as well. Right. Now, of this What's... is a situation. It's, it's ability to be, use power, but also in a way to be quite manipulative, to suggest you don't have power when you do in a social situation. It's essentially, as, as I've said before, it's essentially appropriating the trappings of Marxist theory, but without any class mm -hmm. analysis. Right. So it's meaningless. It's a total meaningless theory. And that's enti it's entirely designed to be so. Mm -hmm. So nothing's stopping me from being queer and being Santa or the tooth fairy. I mean, that's basically what it is. It's just a, like, I identify as this to accommodate this situation. Acceptance without exception. How can I right. possibly object to you? And this is the thing, bear in mind, it's quite funny because this field also rejects psychology uh, from, the mm -hmm. very from the very get-go because it says no one can ever know you or anything about you better than you know yourself. Mm -hmm. Well, okay, let's get rid of the entire practice of psychoanalysis and any form of psychiatric care. Like, like Scientology. Yeah, it really is. But it's, but it's also about it's essentially completely refuting any basis of psychiatric treatment. How can a doctor treat you, for example, if you know better about your own mental situation right. 
than that. And also, it's funny because when you when you have this discussion, as I, I mentioned, and I think in that video that you watched, I had a really kind of clear analysis of this, which I think more and more people are coming to this conclusion that when you say this is a medical issue, what's the ailment? Because these people are mm -hmm. determined to say that it is not an ailment. These people are not unwell. They're not right. sick. They don't have any issues of that nature. They're very clear on that. They want to be very keen on saying that. But at the same time, they need life-saving medical care. Well, right. my view is life-saving life medical care is because of a medical issue that threatens your life. Mm -hmm. I'd like to know what the medical issue is. But it, it's, it's essentially, it's, you know, Schrodinger's illness. Right. It's both life-threatening and it doesn't have any physical symptoms mm -hmm. or any illness at all in any way. These people are not ill, but they're on the on the verge of dying. It's it's not credible, I'm afraid, as an ideological propo uh, proposition, and it's not credible as a medical proposition, which is why it's so alarming. It's being pro you know propagated in such a way. Well, you know the the woman who was on panel with the two of you told a story that made my blood run cold, <clears throat> because one of the arguments that we always hear is, well, love is love, you know the usual bullshit. What do you care? What do you care what people call themselves? What difference does it make? And that woman told a frightening story about a, uh, an individual who was um, being treated for kidney disease, if not kidney failure, who was a woman who identified as a man and was listed as a man in the hospital. And when they took her blood levels, she was turned down for a kidney transplant mm -hmm. because the parameters of her blood work were within the healthy range for men, but not for women. And because mm -hmm. she identified as a man, she was denied a kidney transplant. So please don't tell me that the, the crime statistics don't matter, that the health statistics don't matter, that these issues do not have a real life consequence where people could die uh, any terrible thing could happen. And, and I found that to be a really chilling anecdote. Oh, absolutely. And it, and it goes beyond that as well. You have individuals here, essentially in the UK, cancer charities that deal with cervical cancer, uterine cancer, and other forms of cancer have totally removed the word woman mm -hmm. from that equation. Now, mm -hmm. why is that so dangerous? It's really dangerous because you have a lot of people in the UK who don't speak English. And that might right. not seem apparent to a lot of people, but mm -hmm. they need to know that there is a risk to women. They need to come forward because they're women. Now, I, I said this in the video as well. What's very important here is that we have seen multiple women not realizing they have a cervix because people with cervixes doesn't get attention. Mm -hmm. It is deliberately, and also let's, let's be clear here, people who have a cervix know they have a cervix because mm -hmm. if they're so unhappy they have a cervix, why they, that, you know, they know that they have one. Mm -hmm. this, is the, this is the thing, people with body dysphoria know what they have in their body. Mm -hmm. That's the key part here. So why are we catering to people who know what they have in their body rather mm -hmm. than people who don't necessarily know that they need this life-saving care? Mm -hmm. And then what's really interesting is it's all become about validating male feelings over uh, essentially female, uh, female needs. Now, mm -hmm. a really key case of this is in Lancaster in 2018, a woman was, so this is a non-capacitous woman. So for those who are not necessarily sure what that means, that's a woman who didn't have legal capacity and you know she was in psychiatric care, mm -hmm. was put on an all-female ward. Really important people understand this, you know, at, in the UK, certainly, psychiatric wards with extremely high-risk patients are sex-segregated, or at least they should be. And what happened was 
this individual, this woman, was put on a ward with a male person. Mm-hmm. Now, this is a non-capacitous woman was put on a ward with a male individual who identified mm-hmm. as female. The results were devastating. I'm not even going to go into how harrowing the results were. Mm-hmm. But this is a situation that is occurring. You are seeing women. Now, bear in mind, this is also something that makes no sense to me as someone who has looked at the law because a non-capacitous woman, mm-hmm. really clear here, a non-capacitous woman has no ability to consent and has a really high legal vulnerability. Mm-hmm. And there's a strong duty of care to protect her. And yet lawyers at the NHS thought it was acceptable to put a high-risk male in there Mm-hmm. despite the legal liability. So th- this is something that doesn't make sense to me in a way, and it has to be really carefully examined, unless these people are hostages, which I think they are. You have legal liability, mm-hmm. you have reputational damage, you have the real living harm of these women who will now need serious psychological and trauma care, probably for the rest of their lives in some cases, because mm-hmm. of the situations going on. You have a failure to provide care. You are failing to provide care to the other patients who are probably also traumatized in the situation. And you are also opening up a massive legal liability for yourselves. There, what is the win from this case? Mm-hmm. You know, what is the win from doing this? And this is what you, you start to examine. You know, there is no evidence that this in any way makes a positive impact apart from to make people, some people, feel very comfortable. Now, mm-hmm. I'm afraid I don't think public services should exist to make people feel more validated. Mm-hmm. I really don't. Mm-hmm. That's something that has to be said here. You know, the exists sex segregation. It was fought for for years in prisons, in schools and hospitals, thanks to the work of Elizabeth Fry and so many other women to ensure that women and children were protected. Mm-hmm. And now what you're seeing is this has been completely overturned. Scotland in particular is extremely worrying. Some of the rulings and the potential proposed legislation there is just totally undermining this. And it's something yep. that you see repeatedly. Now, here's the thing, um, because since you are yourself Scottish and you follow these matters, I wanted to ask you specifically about what's happening in Scotland. And and for those of you who don't know, um, what is happening in Scotland is nothing short of bizarre and baffling. You have a head of government in the person of Nicola Sturgeon, who is the head of the Scottish National Party, a political party whose goal is to achieve independence from the UK. Essentially, it's like it's almost like a Brexit party, you know, for Scotland. Mm-hmm. And she has completely set aside the goal of Scottish independence in order to push an one of the most radical trans agendas probably in the world apart mm-hmm. from maybe Norway or something and if you if you take a look at the numbers scottish people are not uh, are not in favor of this and yet you've got nicola sturgeon who is pushing all this stuff through i mean all these debates over the gender recognition act and and that kind of thing they had the U, they had the united nations intervene they had a un special uh, rapporteur, I think mm-hmm. that's the term, yeah. come in and, and do a report saying you guys are moving too fast, you've got to slow down, this is craziness. And Nicola Sturgeon dismissed the this UN individual as that woman and, and refused to take any of these uh, suggestions under advisement. Now, you can tell us, first of all, what the hell is, is going on with Nicola Sturgeon and why is she so wedded to this why is this this the hill that she wants to die on politically 
So I think it's, it's really, that's a really good reference, firstly, to identify Nicola, Nicola Sturgeon's mindset. She dismissed Rima Salam, who is the UN Special Rapporteur on Violence Against Women and Girls. She said, well, we won't be listening to that woman from the UN. Mm-hmm. Now, that's not just contempt for her as a woman who's an expert in her field, contempt for the United Nations as well, which is interesting. Because bear in mind, Nicola Sturgeon, when she came into office, she said, I'm going to have the first feminist foreign policy of any country in the world, which is mm-hmm. ironic because the Scottish Parliament doesn't actually have any control over foreign policy. So for people who want to be aware, you're best seeing the Scottish Parliament almost as analogous to a state within the American system. It mm-hmm. doesn't have control over foreign, foreign policy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's really interesting. What, what Nicola Sturgeon's doing, and it's fascinating, is she is pushing this because she wants younger votes. Oh. That's what she wants. She wants younger votes. She needs the younger vote. And what she is doing is she is going on this hill because she's also being outflanked here on another front. The Green Party of Scotland are frankly bonkers. They are so bonkers. Well, they want- The Green Party is bonkers no matter what country you're in, so... Well, interestingly you say that, apart from the German one that really wants war with Russia. Um, <laughs> the, the one exception <laughs> the, the, the one exception is Germany, where the Green Party actually want war and everyone else is slightly more It would be the but, German Green Party, wouldn't it? I'm it sorry, would. I just had to say it. It would. It's really interesting, that's the only one. But apart from that, the Green Party of Scotland are captured. They are totally and completely promoting queer theory. You have people there saying that non-binary identity should be promoted, that individuals should be able to change their sex whenever they want on apps on their phone. Mm-hmm. You know, these are people on apps are, on their phone. <laughs> yeah, actually, a legal professor from a Scottish university said that there should be an app on your phone where you can request a legal gender change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Great. of course. And how does that update your passport? Mm-hmm. Mm. Anyway, uh, such such great thinking here. But the point is that you've got all of these situations. Now, it's really important that we look at the actual bill that's being introduced to understand it, because she's mm-hmm. being outflanked on the left by a party that's more extreme. So what does this bill say? Well, the bill says that if you want to transition in Scotland, there will no longer be a medical requirement. So there's no longer a medical assessment, which is worrying in many ways, because a lot of these people have a great deal of comorbidities. These are a lot of very vulnerable people that we're talking Mm -hmm. about. And as much as I disagree with their claims, we have to be clear here. They're vulnerable people coming from very vulnerable backgrounds. You often have a lot of comorbidities and psychological disorders that need Mm -hmm. serious treatment. That's why it's so important that there are medical assessments of these individuals and they receive, I would say, instead of gender reassignment, some severe therapy which examines their issues mm-hmm. and is actually seriously good on that topic. That's not what's happening. We're removing the medical component. You need to have lived in Scotland or have had a dress in Scotland for three months prior and registered with a GP, so general practitioner in Scotland. And at which point you can simply sign a document, transition, and then live three months afterwards, and therefore you change. Now, there's some problems with this legislation, first and foremost. Nicola Sturgeon says that you should live in your acquired gender. How does one live in an acquired gender? How does mm-hmm. one live in a gender? Is it, is it an mm-hmm. Airbnb? Do you pay for it? <laughs> what, what are the signs of this? It's utter nonsense. Utter, utter nonsense. You know, oh, I am what? paying rent. <laughs> oh, exactly. But it's, it's like, it's like what, what are you two? Oh, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm fine. I'm just living in my gender today. Oh, right. It's a sort of uh, <laughs> fanciful nonsense. You know, how does one live in their gender? It actually, it sounds like, uh, you know, oh, sorry, Mr. the dog ate my homework. Why isn't your homework here? Oh, uh, I've been living in my gender. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, yeah. it's that nonsense. But then you've got that problem. But then you've also got the idea that says, Nicola Sturgeon says, well, 
and this is very clear, her, her uh, minister in charge of it, Shona Robinson, appeared before committee and was asked, how does one live in a gender and you know, display that they've changed their gender? And she goes, well, it's not the clothes they wear. So, okay, so we have to rule out clothes. Okay. It, it's not the way you look or the way you wear your hair or makeup. Okay, so it's okay. not hair, makeup, clothes. She says, not the way you express or show your gender. So, okay, it's not gender expression, as she calls it. Fine, so it's not the way you, you and she says, it's not the way you walk. Okay, so it's not the way you walk, it's not the way you dress, it's not the way you show you wear your makeup. It's not the end of it. So how does one show one lives in a gender? She says, well, I don't know, there's multiple ways though. So there's multiple <laughs> ways, but I don't know. So what are the multiple ways? And she was asked to name them and she goes, well, because that would be inappropriate because if I name it, I'm restricting it. But you've just said what it's not earlier. <laughs> you've just said it's not clothes. It's not makeup. It's not how you express it. It's not how you talk. It's not how you walk. So essentially we had here, how does one express their gender? Um, don't know, dog ate my homework. Actually, the dog's probably is my gender. That's, that's the level of nonsense we were coming out of the Scottish government. And mm-hmm. it's bizarre. But then you had that, not just that issue there. You then also had Shona Robinson said, well, people can make a fraudulent claim about their gender identity. Of course, no one does this, but people will. You know, it never happens, but it will. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that claim. And then she says, well, people will make a fraudulent claim about their gender. Okay, so what's a fraudulent claim? Can you tell us what a fraudulent claim might be? No. So you're criminalizing people who make a fraudulent claim about their gender. Yeah. But what is a fraudulent claim? Don't know. <laughs> this is genuinely lawmakers, by the way. You know, people right. people might sit there and think this is people on Twitter. <clears throat> oh yes, this is people on this, this is on people on Twitter who have been elected to high office. <laughs> you know You know, this is genuinely stuff that's going on. And then you had um you had a woman there, Karen Adams, who said, Oh, also, um, I just want to say that if anyone here is thinking about misgendering anyone while discussing this, mm-hmm. know that you're causing mass fear and panic and alarm to trans people by even suggesting that they're not valid. Mm-hmm. And this is in the committee session, a point <laughs> of order. Not anything about fact, just about please don't tell people they're not valid. Please don't. Mm-hmm. It might mm-hmm. hurt them. And again, and this is the legal level of legal scrutiny. So you have a problem here now as well. I'm going to say this is one of the biggest problems. What about detransitioners? Right. People who want to detransition. Because have they not made a fraudulent declaration? Now, we might not like mm. to think of it as that, but technically, if you're not going to define what a fraudulent declaration of your gender is, mm-hmm. then haven't detransitioners technically got it wrong? You know, mm-hmm. they, they're, they're saying they got it wrong. And regardless of how we feel about that, you know, I'm obviously very keen on supporting these people who have been through, I think, often an ordeal. Right. We have to sit there and go, so you are selling these people that they could have fraudulently declared their gender. Now, there's, this, is, this comes on to the other point. You cannot annul a GRC. So it, to change sex in the UK, you need a gender recognition certificate. Then this would obviously make it easier to grant one. But if you have a GRC, you can't annul that. And what that means, and this is really interesting, is that to change back or to detransition, you need another GRC. Mm-hmm. You need another GRC. So there are now individuals who have three or four GRCs mm-hmm. because you cannot annul them. So they have a document pertaining to a document pertaining to a document pertaining to a document. This is nonsense. Mm-hmm. This is really, at its heart, nonsense legally. And it's really concerning. Now, legally, why people might also be talking about Scotland was it was a court case mm-hmm. in which the Scottish government was taken to court over a, a law about boards. And essentially they were saying boards should be gender equal of public bodies, so there should be 50% women on the board and 50% <coughs> men. But the problem is... What if all 50 of the women or all 50% of the women on the board are, um, well, 
men. Mm -hmm. So this was taken to court by four women in Scotland and feminist other feminist groups who said, "Look, this is unacceptable. We do not we do not think being a woman should be something that men can identify into for the purposes of public boards." You know, we fought hard for feminist representation. Mm -hmm. We want women on boards. This should be undermined. And the court verdict is kind of being mocked and laughed at because the court were in a really hard position because the, our Gender Recognition Act has a, a, a part called Section 9. And in Section 9, it says, once you obtain a GRC, that's relevant in all circumstances and for all purposes, right. for all purposes. But yet we have elements of the Equalities Act that clearly define Section 212 that a woman is a female of any age and a man is a man of any age. Now, that is then furthermore clarified by the fact that the Equalities Act has Schedule 3, Paragraph 28, in which a public body can essentially say, say, for example, a rape shelter can say, oh, you have a GRC, that doesn't matter. We only allow people who are female into mm -hmm. the centre, and they can decline that. But the judgment says, and Lady Haldane makes this clear, it would be obvious and apparent when a law is referring to sex and a law is referring to gender in her judgment. Mm -hmm. She makes that comment. That's not clear at all. Right. Sex and gender are used interchangeably in our laws. Mm -hmm. So essentially, she says that, in, so for example, she claims for the Forensics Act. So that's, for example, say that you've had the misfortune of being sexually assaulted and need immediately a forensic examiner. In that case, when it says that an individual should be provided an examiner of the same sex, that is then taken and Lady Haldane says, that is an example in which I would agree that sex means sex. But in other cases, for example, say um, for social circumstances in law, then it should be gender that is that is privileged, and this should be she says this should be obvious. Well, I'm afraid if you're creating a binding judgment that's in some ways creating law, you can't just say yeah, it's obvious when a woman is a woman and a woman is not a woman, mm -hmm. and and a woman a trans woman becomes a woman in some cases, not a woman in others. And also, that's a halfway house that pleases no one because the other side right. are sitting there saying, quite frankly, what is a woman? Mm -hmm. You know, are, are we women all the time or none of the time? Mm -hmm. And obviously, our, our side are saying, well, you can't change sex. So none of the time. But their side are saying, well, we're not happy with being a woman some of the time. Mm -hmm. We should have access to all women's rights if we are genuinely women. And actually, mm -hmm. you know, from a coherency point of view, both sides are more coherent than the current judgment, which essentially says... Well, in some cases, they're women. In some cases, they're not. In some cases, you can change right. sex. In some cases, you don't. But again, this is this is the problem we have. Incoherent legislation. Our GRR bill would just make it even more incoherent. That's why I think at the, at the, the heart of this, a lot of people are now saying, repeal the GRA. Repeal the Gender Recognition Act. Don't give out gender recognition certificates. Allow people to live as they want. As J.K. Rowling says, you know, dress how you please, look how you please, behave how you please, identify as you want. No one should harass you for that. No one should attack you for that. However, don't force us to recognize this in law because it's having serious major consequences that affect the rights of women, same-sex attracted people, children, and safeguarding law to protect mm -hmm. people. Did um, did anybody take into account the um, the stories as told by people like Sinead Watson and the detransitioners? Is, is anyone even listening to their stories about being rushed through these clinics um, and not getting the proper psychiatric evaluations and not waiting, I mean, but but being pushed. And, and again, this is another thing where people are saying, oh, that's not true. That's a lie. It is not true that ki a kid can walk into a clinic and get uh, puberty blockers and then get hormones. It is true. 
It is true. And we know that it's true because we've heard the testimony of whistleblowers mm -hmm. and the testimony of detransitioners. And it seems like, I mean, I thought that the whistleblowers out of Tavistock, the stories that they were telling were enough to set your hair on end. You know, that they knew that there were young women who were on the autism spectrum who were coming in and demanding these medications. They knew that there were that that there was a rush a rush a rush because again we're also operating under the assumption of these cooked up phony suicide statistics um and it's incredibly dangerous and now what we're looking at is kids whose lives i mean sinead watson her body will be disrupted in some way forever you know, these detransitioners, there are, there are things that they can get back to normal. Sinead Watson will always grow facial hair. She will always have that voice. I don't know if Sinead Watson has had a gynecological exam to determine whether or not she's been sterilized. But a kid of 13, 14, 15 years old demanding to be put on drugs that will have lifelong effects because, of course, these drugs, not the puberty blockers, mm -hmm. but the, the hormones you have to be on for the rest of your life. And then the surgeries also have side effects that are very, very grim. Um, and it seems like nobody is listening. Like, this is so serious, and very few people, it seems, in positions of authority are listening. I totally agree, but I would also go back to puberty blockers and say that actually puberty blockers are, are drugs right. that are required for a very limited period of time. They were designed for people who had precocious puberty. That was a real right. medical condition, right. and it really helped people you know, for a short period of time. You now have people taking puberty blockers over four or five years, and what they're mm -hmm. saying is there are no effects of this. Why? Oh, well, because people take it for three months and have effects. Really? Mm -hmm. That's really what you think? Mm -hmm. Now, the other, the other issue here as well is that we have seen that for individuals taking puberty blockers long term, there's a drop in neurological development. Mm -hmm. There are serious other effects in healthcare. That's why some Scandinavian countries, I think in particular Sweden and Denmark, have dropped the usage of puberty blockers and are mm -hmm. evaluating them because there is a real panic here. There's a really right. dangerous situation going on here and it's not been evaluated and there is no coherent long-term research into the mm -hmm. effects of these drugs that are being prescribed mm -hmm. for more than you know a period of months are being prescribed mm -hmm. for years on end for children right. to take. Mm -hmm. So that's really important. I think the second part as well about you know cross-sex hormones and these detransitioners, you know Sinead and someone called Tulip uh, aka Ritchie, they used both yeah. names, uh, both came to the Scottish Parliament to testify. And, you know, certain MSPs from the panel or who are on this committee reviewing this legislation, scrutinising it. So the Scottish Parliament, once it gets passed by the main chamber, there's it's a unicameral, so there's one chamber. It goes to the committee stage where amendments are considered and then comes back to the chamber. So amendments are being considered. And these two women came to talk to, to inform the committee. And people from the committee who are on the other side of this debate did not listen to them. They didn't even turn up. Mm -hmm. They didn't turn up to listen to these two people who had had their lives turned upside down, mm -hmm. often with serious medical consequences. And for those who haven't seen it, Richie talked to the LGB Alliance this year about their medical health care and the state of their body. And I'm just going to say state because that's what they say about how bad their body is mm -hmm. and how seriously damaged they are, the constant pain that they have in areas the fact that their bones are weaker and this is something that you see repeatedly and actually we had and um, we had we held a space on twitter where we had two individuals still come and discuss from the tavistock who'd been treated there 
And do you know what they both said? We were never told that there were any negative side effects. Mm. That's medical negligence. It in is. In UK law, that's medical negligence. In American law, it's medical negligence. People need to be able to make an informed decision. Mm. Now, whether a child can make an informed decision, I think the jury's out on that, and I think it's for the birds that they can. I don't think a child can, con- can consent to sterilisation. I don't right. think a child can consent to any of these potential effects. Look at, and I think this is really important, when you look at what is going on, you have to say, can a child consent to this? Because frankly, there are women in their late 20s who are saying, can I be sterilized? Mm-hmm. Can I, you know, and the NHS in this country, our national healthcare provider says, no, mm-hmm. you can, but we will give those drugs to a 13 or 14 year old via gender GP, a private provider. Mm-hmm. And then because of the interim specifications in the cash report, even if a private provider has given them drugs that the NHS wouldn't, we'll still treat them. Mm-hmm. So what you actually have is these younger individuals are being being given these drugs that potentially sterilize them. Mm-hmm. And this is what is occurring. It's absolutely shocking. It is something that is really kind of solemn and really worrying. And it's actually it's horrible to think about as well. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you ha- I don't know if you if you sit there sometimes and you sit and think about these younger people. You know, some of them have never even in any way I think I think there's terms like orgasmically naive, but also some of them are not able to even urinate properly without assistance. That's shocking. Right. You know, there's there's a woman in Scotland called Elaine Miller, and her, her Twitter is Gussie Grippers, and she works with women to help them recover after pregnancy from to, from incontinence, essentially. And she's saying that she's seeing trans men, so women who have transitioned, coming into her clinic who have a pelvic floor age of 70 and 80 at the age of 25 and 26. Wow. Now, now, think about that in terms of long-term problems we're creating here. What's that going to be like in 40 years? Mm-hmm. These women. Hell. Hell on earth. Again, mm-hmm. what we're also seeing is individuals who are male identifying as women, so taking that treatment, are, have bone problems. Massive, mm-hmm. significant bone problems. They're mm-hmm. unable to walk. Now, this stuff is absolutely shocking. It's absolutely horrifying when you see the rates of osteoarthritis developing in these people. Some people have skeletons at the age of 70 years old, at the age of 20. Again, mm-hmm. 40 years time, you have to consider, how will these individuals be able to live? So the, and, and these risks are, not, are being told, not told to children. Children are coming in and they're being told, we can give you what, what was, I think one parent at the Tavistock said, we were told our child was going to be given gender euphoria. Mm-hmm. It sounds too good to be true, and it is. Right, frankly. Now, the other thing that needs to be brought up is that in the UK, there are multiple organisations that point out testosterone is a natural high. If you, mm-hmm. if you give a young girl who has very little confidence, hates her body, testosterone, she's going to be naturally high from that. Mm-hmm. It is a natural high. That's what testosterone does. Mm-hmm. Now, the problem is it wears off after you have to constantly take it. Mm-hmm. But you can imagine how a young girl who's been dysphoric about her body, I mean, the old saying, how is a trans man created? Well, it's when a a young girl hates her body very, very, very much, mm-hmm. comes to mind. With mm-hmm. with the current kind of beauty standards, you mm-hmm. can imagine young girls thinking, I'm not you know, I'm not living up to this standard. I'm not good enough. Well, here's a drug that will make you feel better. Mm-hmm. And then they think that they have to constantly keep going down the pathway because the effects wear off. This is the problem. And this is why it's so important to note that people who go on cross-sex hormones at that point, 98% continue. Mm-hmm. of children who are allowed to explore their gender identity and work through gender dysphoria with a psychologist instead of going on to puberty blockers do not go on to medicalize in any way and grow up to be perfectly happy, often gay children. Right. 
Right. See, that's the thing is that the 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 dividing line uh, between, let's say, the age where kids are experimenting and fantasizing and thinking that they are something, this, that, the other thing, when it comes to their sexuality or um, their gender presentation or whatever, puberty is the dividing line. When you erase puberty from the life of a child, you don't give them the chance to, quote unquote, grow out of it, which so many kids do. And this has been proven in study after study. Mm-hmm. And what 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 galls me about this entire situation is that, I mean, I have been arguing with people for years about this very topic, um, because as I've I've told Negs and I've told my audience on my YouTube channel, um, after I had my hysterectomy uh, for ovarian cancer, I wanted to go on estrogen because my menopause symptoms were extremely severe. And I was not prescribed estrogen by my oncologist until I had the BRCA test because he wanted to make absolutely sure that I didn't have the gene mutation and that I wouldn't exacerbate the growth of breast cancer if I had the mutation. So if I, as a woman, a woman could not get put on hormones to alleviate symptoms of menopause until I had passed through that that genetic test to see if I had the marker, then how the hell are you giving children these hormones and lying and saying that there is absolutely no problem and that all you have to do, oh, if the kid changes their mind, you just take them off the hormones. It's not that simple. And it seemed to me... <clears throat> that it was obvious that uh, the kids and their parents were being lied to, gaslighted en masse by these medical professionals and by the drug companies, who all had a vested interest to medicate children uh, into adulthood and until death, basically. Um, and everybody else was like, no, but, but, but I've read studies by name some organization, probably, you know, mermaids or something. But I've read studies that say that that's not true, that they're all very safe and reversible. And they're not. And, and now our greatest fear is coming to pass. And there are still people who are unwilling to look at the facts, like the actual medical facts, and say, wait a second, what are we doing to kids? What are we doing to children? Children who are too young, in some cases, to drive. Some kids, you know, kids who are too young to get a tattoo or to have a drink or to join the army are now going in and making lifelong, life-altering decisions about their bodies. It is daylight madness. Absolutely. And I think it's not just, you know, bringing these young people into this. You have to bear in mind that can anyone really, and this is a really harsh view, but I do hold it, can anyone really consent to these procedures in the first place? You know, when I when I see someone going in say, I'm afraid I don't identify in such a way, this is what I am. So, for example, say, you know, I need this surgery, facial feminization, for example, I need breasts. When you sit there and hear these individuals and you sit there and go, are you a rational or sane individual? Is it mm-hmm. rational or sane to think that you were born in the wrong body? Is it rational or sane to believe that you require these characteristics to be seen as a woman? Because mm-hmm. quite frankly, most of these times, if we're talking about this, they are stereotypes. They are sex mm-hmm. stereotypes. For example, I think Gareth Roberts, the writer in the UK, asked, why are they never called Julian Bev? Why are they always called Paris, Monroe and, you know, London? It's mm-hmm. one of these things that it's essentially about parodies of women. 
And that's why it's so important that we know that. It's so important that we have that discussion and we really understand what is going on here. Well, a lot of the people who are identifying as women are men and they have no, they have but a man's grasp on womanhood, frankly. And that's, they're coming in here with a lot of comorbidities. They don't understand the situation. They don't understand also in particular, I think this is really important. They do not understand the importance of same-sex spaces either. Mm -hmm. You know, I, as I keep telling someone, I'm perfectly happy with male feelings being upset because of female safety concerns. Mm -hmm. You know, female safety always comes first, as far as I'm concerned. Mm -hmm. And that's where we're coming back to. And that's what's really important to bring all of this discussion back to at the end of the day. One very kind of important thing, which is that at the end of the day, all of these feelings are not relevant. Mm -hmm. They're not relevant in any form or way what is mostly relevant here and always should take precedence is the safeguarding of women and girls and children. Those are the three key concerns here. And I think actually a lot of the time when someone says, well, what about how I feel? We need to say, does how you feel put you at a risk? You know, mm -hmm. women, let's put it this way. In the UK, we had a parliamentarian, Claudia Webb, who claimed eight trans people had died this year. She couldn't provide any number, statistics, names or cases, but it's not true. It's right. fundamentally not true. And that's the problem. It's mm -hmm. a fundamental, really strong problem that we are seeing here and we're dealing with it. And mm. I think it's incredibly important that we have that discussion. And I think that when you're also dealing with here, how many trans people in the UK have died? Zero. Zero have died since 2018. And that, let me say that's a good thing. And we want mm. that to continue. Long may that continue. But three women in the UK die every week right. in violence. Right. Right, right. That's why I think it was Clive who said something about how there was a trans day of remembrance and they couldn't come up with a single name. Yes. You know, but in the meantime, you've got this huge number of women being murdered. Um, but OK, never mind about them. And Where's their far, day of remembrance? Where's exactly. Day of remembrance? And as far as uh, as male feelings and so on, I mean, I'm sure we've all seen the hysterical reaction and pushback to J.K. Rowling opening, saying that she's going to fund the opening of a female-only crisis center. And mm -hmm. the the reaction to this, turning her into the biggest bigot, saying that this is a terrible blow to her reputation, this is where we are today. Yeah, that to say. Absolutely. And the thing about J.K. Rowling is, it's what J.K. Rowling hasn't said that makes her a bigot. Mm -hmm. This is it. If you ever ask, like, for example, there's a woman on Twitter called E.J. Rosetta who was tasked by sources in the UK to find J.K. Rowling's transphobia. Now, that's dangerous, firstly, mm -hmm. because she was actually tasked to find it rather than investigate the situation, which tells you all you need to know about a really kind of warped view of journalism. Answers first, questions come mm -hmm. to justify the conclusion. What, was, what she said was, I couldn't find any. J.K. Rowling is a witch because of the things she hasn't said. J.K. Rowling mm -hmm. is a thing, a witch, because of the things she hasn't done. She's guilty of what everyone else has done, what everyone else has said, and mm -hmm. what she hasn't done and what she hasn't said. Mm -hmm. This is the typical tactic of witch hunters. They are trying to find it because, quite frankly, there is a demand in the UK to find transphobes, but there isn't enough supply of actual genuine right. people. So <laughs> when, when you have a situation where demand outpaces supply, I'm afraid a few innocent witches are going to have to be burned. And by a few, I mean almost entire numbers are going to have to be burned. Because quite frankly, there is a desire to burn people in our society, particularly to yeah. cancelling people. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the 
as far as cancel culture is concerned, I mean, um, you experienced that, didn't you? This was a yeah. few years ago when you were brigaded and accused of being a racist. And this turned into like a whole thing. I mean, how did that turn out? So that whole that whole situation was bizarre. I was essentially reported uh, to the university for um, multiple political views that I held, which was absolutely bizarre. Uh, one of them included supporting Madeleine Burns. And mm -hmm. it was honestly one of the most bizarre periods of my life because you had multiple people coming in, weighing in. And actually, at the end of the day, the university apologized to me because they, com they, they merged complaints from different individuals about my political view and presented it as one complainant, breached my rights, breached the entire system. And then what you also had as well was they apologized to me because the investigation wasn't even done correctly. Mm -hmm. So they repeatedly failed to present the real complaint, uh, investigated it wrongly. They, ap they apologized to both sides, but I was acquitted in the end of all charges. And yet people still constantly refer to the fact that I was racist because of the complaint, which mm -hmm. was dismissed. And it was dismissed because there was no evidence presented for the complaint, no evidence presented beyond tweets. And the tweets were such things as you cannot change sex. Mm -hmm. So again, I, I think really actually, we are also at a position as a society in which we need to say stop mm -hmm. in any way policing how people tweet. Mm -hmm. Let's look seriously at threats of violence and seriously dangerous behavior. But people's opinions are not to be examined in such a way because quite frankly when you have individuals investigating opinions they don't like and when people are offended and that's a cause of looking at things we both know where that ends for example right. in the uk people who were pushing offense law were horrified when then anti-monarchists were being arrested in the wake of the queen's death mm -hmm. you know, people who were protesting the queen uh, you know the, the accession of king charles were being arrested and they said well why are you arresting us we have free speech and they said no no you've you've done something offensive you have offended public decency and I went, well, how have we done that? The laws that they have, the, the laws that these people have promoted for years about anyone who's offended can take legal action and offending people should be criminal. And I go, oh, but actually, what about how, when it happens to us? Again, mm -hmm. Robespierre here. The mm -hmm. guillotine is killing the person who used it so much. That This is the right. situation we're in. And that, you guys, is exactly what it means to live in a country without a First Amendment. That, yep. that This is what you end up with when you have a country with no First Amendment. You have old ladies being arrested because they are shouting at mosques. You have Robbie getting raked over the coals because he tweeted something that people didn't like. You've got women getting the police coming to their door because they, uh, they said something about how men and women are not the same and one is not can't become the other. Um, and so... Uh, I mean, I know that we have had situations uh, where, uh, like, one British viewer in another person on another person's channel was talking about my my love Negs over here and saying, "Oh, well, he wouldn't be able to get away with saying whatever the hell it was that Negs said in the UK." Yeah, and that's why we're glad we're not there. Yeah. As much as I love the UK, um, living when you live in a country with the First Amendment, you take it so much for granted that what yeah. it protects. Um, and when you hear stories like yours, I mean, look, university uh, university trials are a disgrace all over the world. They're just as bad here. Well, they're slightly less bad because uh, Trump's secretary of education came in and cleaned up a lot of the mess that Obama created. But um, university tribunals are a nightmare where nobody has any rights. They are kangaroo courts. And 
we don't want univer the university model to spill out into other areas like the real world. Um, and then you look at the UK and you think, holy shit, the things that you can be charged with in the UK are absolutely unbelievable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and just, just to come in there, so you'll laugh uh, at this. Because it's the only way to do it, the only way not to be absolutely terrified of this is to laugh. When I was sitting being interviewed by the individual who was investigating the complaints at Edinburgh University, I was asked, are you gay? And mm. I went, well, what business is that of yours? <laughs> you know, and, uh, you know, you know, <laughs> you know but bear in mind, this was a kind of, this was a woman in her 40s. I was sitting there thinking, what's this about? And she mm -hmm. was, well, she says, the complainant refers to you as flamboyantly gay. <laughs> and I went, and? <laughs> you know? <laughs> Is, uh, I said, I've, I've entered the room and it went from, uh, what was it, 2014 to 1914. I'm, I'm mm -hmm. confused. <laughs> and that was genuinely Jeez. sort of thing that was, and I was told that that had disturbed members of a certain ethnic minority community. And I said, well, well, that's not only extremely racist to say something like that, it's also extremely homophobic. So I think you should just perhaps go and clear off. Actually, interestingly, the, the, the person who investigated me mm -hmm. um, for this during the entire situation was then cleared out of investigations in future. So I, I take that as a sign of they did a good job. Um, <laughs> yeah, they did so well, they were shifted. Uh, but, as, but on this, you know, you've got people like Posey Parker, for example. Posey mm -hmm. Parker had the police call her. Right, because, her. Yeah, they call her because she was untowards about pedophiles. Yeah, that's crazy to me, is to have the police showing up at your door. Look, we, we have a registry here and... Uh, I mean, we don't harass the offenders because they get very light sentences, which is absurd. They should be in prison for life. Once you harm a person sexually, you should just be, I mean, I, yeah. I, I wouldn't go as far as saying executed. Well, yeah, I would. You should be punished severely, but like, you know, we don't harass them and stuff. But like if, uh, for example, there is a pedophile locally who owns a business and he drives around with his tree trimming trucks all the time. If I see him pumping gas, I remind him he's a pedophile and flip him off and nobody could do nothing. But that's the extent of it. The cops aren't going to show up here and be like, you barely leave that child molester alone. But the thing is, this wasn't, this, this wasn't even about harassing an individual directly. This was about her going on the internet, making comments saying that I do not believe drag queens should be near children. Now that's mm -hmm. quite interesting from a police perspective because the police came at it from a position of, you've insulted drag queens. Why are you untoward about pedophiles? And I'm sitting there going, is that really oh. a connection? Yeah. I'm sitting there going, oh, that's an interesting connection you made there. Can you tell me why you made it? Oh, um, so that was an interesting one. That was essentially, her complaint was that she railed on, on YouTube saying, look, it's unacceptable drag queens are put in here. I feel this is grooming children ideologically from this ideology. I don't feel it's it appropriate. Uh, yeah, I agree. Totally. Again, this is something that really frustrates me when people say, oh, you shouldn't use the word grooming. Grooming isn't just directly sexual content. People groom people ideologically all the time. It mm -hmm. happens. That is the entire basis of Islamic extremism. I've watched, mm -hmm. I've literally, as, as you'll be aware, you know, I was big on kind of you know, fighting Islamic extremism and Islamism that was endemic right. and kind of has slightly been taking a back seat at the moment because it's not the major threat in terms mm -hmm. of self-inflicted harm to our civilization. But um, what we are seeing here is essentially these individuals saying, oh, well, grooming doesn't exist. We can't use that word. You know, Twitter, for example, banned the word grooming. And people, yep. people on Instagram still lose their accounts constantly for saying the word grooming. Now, it's quite funny because I'll tell you now, a woman who ran a 
pet grooming company, because grooming, of course, <laughs> refers to dogs, lost her account in in in, in London, and, and because it was called it was called UK Grooming, uh, and then another woman lost her account. I think she was in Manchester, the UK, and her business was called Furry Grooming. Uh, <laughs> because of course, the word grooming, of course, overnight became you know the persona non grata in terms of it could not be used it was a forbidden term it was heretical speech and that was what was so dangerous essentially overnight you could not use a word on social media and that was very dangerous because actually you know there's really intellectual discussions to be had about this i agree sometimes you know you do get idiots who go oh you know teaching children to respect gay people's grooming and anything anything beyond teaching them the world's seven thousand years old and there's only adam and eve is grooming Right. That sort of stuff I can respect. There is an element of, okay, why are you saying that? You're just being really, you know, Mm -hmm. ridiculous. But again, there is a really intellectual discussion to be had here about ideological grooming, the the way grooming occurs, how grooming occurs, that's not being had. Mm -hmm. Well, when they banned the word grooming, I remember that there was a big, a big laugh. They were like, fine, we'll just use pedophile then. (laughs) They did it. They just. Yeah, but this is but this is the thing, and they, they're trying to police language so hard. That the other the other problem as well is when you are so restrictive, and when you are essentially about shutting down debate, you become stupid. Mm-hmm. So essentially, yeah. the other side in this argument about in the UK there was a strategy that was explicitly called no debate, and it was implemented by our LGBT organisations. We do not need to debate you. We do not need to justify ourselves. We do not need to in any way tell you anything about the legislative propositions we require and any positions you hold that are against us are fundamentally wrong and there's no debate on this. So what that did actually is it, of course, at first it silenced feminists, it saw them thrown out of institutions, it saw them harmed, it saw same-sex attracted people unable to defend themselves. Then do you know what happened that was really interesting? I think it's really important to know. These women went away and became smarter. They went and had to read the equalities law. They had to read law on safeguarding. They had to read law about children in schools. They had to read law on hospitals. They had to become experts in crime rates. They had to essentially become academics in many ways and understand all the arguments against them and from multiple different positions. And what eventually happened with all of this is that essentially no debate made women smart and the people who supported it dumb because none of their arguments ever had any counter argument. They didn't have to ever argue against anything because arguing against it was essentially something that could have the police called to your door or you would be hounded out of your job. Right. And now what we've seen is, as this is reversed, these people were essentially doing things with no argument against them that were so incredibly stupid that that it's collapsing. It's a house of cards. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, the funny thing is I was thinking this morning that, um, you know, I know that Douglas Murray and others have been extremely critical of the behavior of the UK police. Um, And granted, okay, you may not have a First Amendment, but you would think that some people have common sense um, and that the police are needed in other areas apart from harassing Posey Parker and uh, <laughs> and that kind of thing. But the thing is that when we had the satanic panic in this country that went on for what, maybe 20 years, maybe 15, 20 years in total until it finally burned out and people were acquitted and, and it just kind of died down, you guys had a massive grooming scandal in the UK that went on for decades. And the excuses that were given by the police for not intervening and not rescuing these girls who were being trafficked and raped 
by older men, uh, mostly South Asian men. I'm not going to say Asian because that pisses off the Sikhs and the Indians who have nothing to do with this mess and the Japanese and everybody else. They were mostly, let's face it, they were mostly Pakistani men who were in these gangs who were grooming young, poor, uh, working class girls, um, very young in some cases. And the police did not want to get involved. And there were a million and one excuses. There was all the excuse of, well, we don't want to appear to be racist. Um, the the social workers, I mean, there were exceptions, obviously. There were exceptions to this. But for the most part, everybody took a hands-off approach mm -hmm. because some community leader would step forward and say, no, this doesn't exist in the community. This is impossible. And they allowed it to continue and continue and continue. Um, so one would think, and and the and the fallout is still not completely known because this big this activity was taking place in I think over a hundred cities in the United Kingdom, mm -hmm. and God only knows how many victims uh, were wrapped up in this mess. And meanwhile, you instead of having the police do a little bit of a regroup, which there was to a certain extent, but instead of that, you have. Now you have the police chasing down people who say mean things on Twitter. One would think that they would have bigger priorities. They would have bigger fish to fry than that kind of nonsense. And you know the problem as well in not dealing with it? The problem immediately in not dealing with it was you had people like Tommy Robinson right. pop up. Mm -hmm. And Tommy Robinson said, no one's talking about the grooming gang scandal mm -hmm. in the north of England. Rod Liddell writes very eloquently about it. he was on Newsnight and Nick Griffin was there. Now, Nick Griffin is an odious character. You know, these are genuinely racist people. Right. And Nick, Nick Griffin was sitting there. And one of the things he said that Rod said really, everyone laughed at him. He said, no one's taking the grooming gangs in the north of England seriously. And people laughed at him. And what happened was grooming gangs became the sole territory of the far right. The sole exactly. territory of the far right. Because mm -hmm. no one else was willing to talk about them. And then mm -hmm. what happens is these people who are... Let's put it this way, they hate Jews, they're conspiracists, nutters, mm -hmm. they constantly hold positions that have no evidence in science. These, they, these, you know, these people are essentially the worst of the worst in many ways. But they're right. It's that meme. The worst person you know and the worst ideology you hate made a great point. Exactly. And a point. And what happened here was you had these organizations essentially being said, well, we were proven right. We told you about this. And the establishment covered it up. Mm -hmm. And that's what this does is it gave sucker to conspiracy theorists. It gave sucker to far right groups, because mm -hmm. if you do not talk about these thorny issues, even if you don't like it, the far right will again. And now this is what's happening directly with drag queens. Mm -hmm. Now, I personally don't think drag queens are suitable for children, no. but who's turning up to oppose drag queen story hour? Because it's an easy win. Proud mm -hmm. boys. Who's turning out to oppose drag queen story mm -hmm. hours? The Westboro Baptist Church in some instances mm -hmm. in the US. In the UK, it's far-right groups like Britain First and mm -hmm. For Britain and Oak, Hearts of Oak. You, if, you, if you abandon territory and then give it to the far-right, the far-right are going to use that territory because they know it's an easy win. It's a very easy win for them to simply say, look at this madness that they're throwing on our children. Mm -hmm. And the problem is it's true as well. Again, this is another case in which it's true. This is genuinely damaging stuff. It shouldn't be near kids. Mm -hmm. You know, I have, I have friends who are drag queens. Uh, you know, friends, I actually have a friend who went on at one RuPaul's Drag Race in the UK. And, and you know what they said? Drag is an optional activity that is a nightlife activity right. that does not in any have any place involving children and very mm -hmm. young children in sexualized activity. Mm -hmm. And they're right. Mm -hmm. They're absolutely right. And the far right stand there and go, look, this is wrong. A lot of people are going to nod their heads. So it's, on the, it's, it's the duty of politicians to stop abandoning sensible ideas mm -hmm. and start actually standing up for things 
that people who they dislike stand for. Again, I don't know if you've noticed this in American politics, but it's very true in Britain as well. They go, oh, well, I don't hold that position because X, Y, and Z hold that position. Oh, yeah, all the time. Yeah. It's, it's now become one of the biggest problems in our political system is we agree with these people mm-hmm. because they don't agree with these people. Or right. I, I hold this position because they hold that position. Or I hold this position because other people I like hold this position. This is groupthink. It doesn't make anyone smarter. But also, at the end of the day, it fundamentally means that it, when things come out, you have a group of people who might be very unpleasant who are the sole winners. Because what you've done for, and this is what happened with mermaids, people kept saying the people who were against mermaids were, mm-hmm. were um, Britain first in these groups. They're far right. Mm-hmm. And then what happens is mermaids collapses and there's massive endemic challenges there. And the far right go, told you so. Right. We told you all along. Well, I'll, t- I'll tell you the truth, Robbie. I found out the most about the grooming scandal. I actually first heard about it because Tommy Robinson was on Dave yeah. Rubin's show. And um, there were a number of American YouTubers who decided to give Tommy Robinson a chance to invite him on. And what Tommy was saying, look, you can hate the guy's guts. Yeah. You can you can hate... Um, you can hate his groups, you can hate his associations, you can you can criticize him for many things, but he wasn't wrong. He wasn't wrong. And the, the what he was talking about was so unbelievably serious that at first I couldn't even believe that the grooming gang story was true because I thought to myself, how the hell could all this be going on in plain sight and nobody is rescuing these girls? None of these men are getting arrested. Nobody's even being taken in for questioning. And this is going on for 20, 30 years and not a single man in any of these groups. I mean, he told a story about how one father went to the house of one of these men to rescue his daughter, who I think was 13 years old at the time. And the police came and arrested the father, you know. So, you know, I can understand any kind of animus that people have towards Tommy Robinson, but what you cannot deny is that he was right about the grooming gangs. He was right, and you're right. When you have a vacuum, guess what steps into it? You've got the Proud Boys here at these uh, drag queen story hours. This is what's, what's going to happen if people put their heads in the sand and say, oh, there's not a problem here, and anybody who thinks there is is basically a bigot. And I think as well, one of the biggest problems for women in the UK in particular is they all say, I'm politically homeless. Why are they politically homeless? Right. Because I can't vote for any party that thinks or doesn't, you know, doesn't put first and foremost women's rights. Exactly. We, if, you don't, if you don't value women's rights, then we can't vote for you. That's why there's a campaign in the UK. It's called Respect My Sex to Get My Ex, referring to the cross and the vote that we do. Mm-hmm. You know, If you want to vote, you cross in the ballot paper for a single candidate in the UK. And what they're saying now is, if you don't respect my sex, why should I vote for you? Mm-hmm. Why should I vote for you in any way? Right. And I think it's true. It's, it's fundamentally true. I mean, my my thing, I told Megs this, that uh, because um, in the next couple of months, I'm going to be selling my place in D.C. and moving to Indiana permanently. And I told him, um, I will vote for any party for the party that doesn't uh, advocate, that is not in favor of overthrowing um a clean and fair democratic election and any party that can define what a fucking woman is in five words or less so i'm not voting anymore because this is how bad things have gotten this is ridiculous yeah. it's bad it's bad I biden agree. had some interesting comments today in favor 
of uh the way i put it was uh, butchering the babies mm -hmm. and i think i think as well on that you've got to examine this from a position of i think in the uk we've been slightly luckier than you guys and one way i know we don't have the first amendment which is shocking and it has really harmed us but what we do have is you guys have got politicians that have gone so far off the deep end in both mm -hmm. directions on other things as well. You know, the Republican Party is a post-truth party on climate change, on multiple other issues, mm -hmm. in which I feel that the Republican Party, and, and you know, on elections as well. You know, Trump lost Trump lost the, that election. I'm just going to say it now. Now, that's fundamentally true. It's, fund, it's a fundamental fact. If you can't handle that, there's a real problem here. Mm -hmm. Now, on the other end of things, you've got the Democrats that are denying biological reality, are denying mm -hmm. the nature of serious things, and they talk about the most ridiculous nonsense that has no basis in fact. I think that's, that's had real, real balance here. Now, the problem here is, in the UK, we've kind of discarded that because we had our flirtations with that. I think in some ways, Corbyn was our flirtation with mm -hmm. post-truth nonsense. And Corbyn, as, as everyone knows, it, ended, it didn't go well for him in the end. Because, you know, this constant nonsense doesn't go very far when you go to extremes. I really do worry about the US because, quite frankly, I'm sitting there and I think when you look at it, a lot of Americans would back a moderate candidate mm -hmm. who came out and said, I am totally in favour of, in many ways, public services, infrastructure development, low taxes on businesses and people, and fair and uh, fair immigration system. I think if someone came out like that and was able to run, I think you're hampered by your specifically and narrowly two-party system, mm -hmm. more, more compared to more so than ours. But I think if someone like that came out and had the backing of a major party, they would win. They would walk away. The mm -hmm. problem with Biden is Biden only won because he wasn't the orange guy. There was a exactly. Fight. There was a massive fight not to be the orange guy, and everyone was kind of standing around afterwards with the knives after they fought for the orange guy, got rid of him. And everyone went, well, actually, none of us like each other. Like the, all of these people hate each other who have, who have essentially won this. Kamala Harris and Joe Biden don't like each other, apparently. Mm -hmm. I think that's the worst kept secret anywhere. Mm -hmm. You know, then all of the other candidates in the Democratic race hated each other. They absolutely mm -hmm. loathed each other towards the end of it. You have a situation in which everyone who teamed together to get rid of the orange man didn't, they did it because they hated Trump. They didn't right. all have a coherent vision for coming along post-Trump. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the big issues in America. And I think that all of this gender stuff is a stupid thing for the Democrats because what voters are they winning with this? Who is mm -hmm. coming out and voting for the Democrats on this position? And who's not voting for the Democrats on this? What votes are they losing? Because that's the key, that's a key calculation here. And I will tell you now, the amount of women that we're now seeing, particularly because obviously the UK is called Turf Island by Americans as an insult. Mm -hmm. Well, we take it as a compliment. Mm -hmm. um, but the point is that the amount of American women we're seeing coming out and speaking openly about what they feel mm -hmm. is massive. It's yeah. absolutely massive. Mm -hmm. And it's something that is just endemic. And I'm really, really pleased to see it because I think that now the only way the Democrats are going to learn is if they start suffering at elections. That's the only way this is right. going to change. Right, exactly. And, and, when, and the thing is that when you lose an election, it's always a good idea to sit back and say, what happened? What went wrong? And to be brutally honest about why you lost the election. And you take the candidate out of the equation. You say, okay, well, maybe we had a candidate who was really flawed in some fundamental way. But I, I've been telling Negs, and I've been telling my chat on my channel, that um, when I, uh, Negs and I don't live in the same state, and I have to travel 
a long way to get to Negs. Uh, I'm with him two weeks out of the month, and then I'm in D.C., and I have to travel across four different states in order to get to him. Um, And along the way, I make stops at the gas station, at the diner, whatever, and I talk to women and men on the way there, and this is like Pennsylvania, the rural parts of Pennsylvania, uh, pretty remote parts of West Virginia, uh, Western Maryland, you know, that is largely Trump country. And so I talk to people there and I ask them, um, what do you think? Just in general, what do you think of what's going on in D.C.? What do you think of your representative, if they even know who that person is? And people will bring up things that are culture war issues. Um, And I think that a lot of these consultants working in D.C. don't understand the degree to which this sex and gender business resonates in parts of the country that they sneer at or that they've written off. Um, And I've had some really interesting, very astute conversations with waitresses in diners, you know, who are aware that Dylan Mulvaney was at the White House or want to talk about the erosion of women's rights and what a woman is, what it means to be a woman. And they're angry as fuck about it. they, They make no bones about telling you point blank. Um, I don't like this. I don't like the direction the country is headed in. I feel threatened. I feel whatever it is. And you would have to be an absolute fool to dismiss those people out of hand. And that's exactly what happened. That is what led to Trump winning. That that was one of the big problems is that people were not listening to very depressed parts of the country. Um, to parts of the country where people were struggling. I mean, Negs and I live in a farming community. Um, and Negs can talk about what's going on in his town, about, you know, the opioid crisis and what it's done in those parts of the country. And there's a sense of detachment and like nobody's listening to me. Well, you know why? Because nobody is listening to you. <laughs> That's the problem. And that happened in the UK with Boris Johnson. Boris Johnson mm-hmm tapped into something that was very key in the British people, which was, we are not being listened to, we have been ignored, Labour Party have taken us in the North for granted. Now, obviously, Boris came in and just decided to do his whole kind of LARPing as Churchill, and then mm-hmm. his whole cosplay as Churchill thing went very badly, because essentially he took people for granted as well. But I think what's key in coming from this is that people across the world are starting to feel taken for granted by politicians. Right. Politicians feel they can take them for granted, that essentially people will just vote for them anyway, that the same mm-hmm. party will triumph in the same area, and that there's a right to inherent dynasties and political kind of groups and cliques. Mm-hmm. That's, that's shattering. We're seeing it in France, it's shattering. In the UK, it's shattered. In America, it's shattered. Mm-hmm. And it's something that's really, really key here is that I think people are now fed up of being told you will vote this way and you always will because your father voted that way or because Mm -hmm. your area votes that way. And people want people to actually work. I think actually one thing I'll credit Bill Maher with, I I do really like Bill Maher, but I think it's a really good thing he said. You're hiring a representative, like a lawyer when you're voting for a politician. They're your representative. They're Mm -hmm. your person who goes out and speaks for you. Mm -hmm. Maybe we're a bit sick and tired of the quality of representatives that we're getting. And I think that's true in a lot of democratic countries now. They're seeing the quality of people who are standing for them and going, is this it? Right. Is this really it? Are these the people who are going to represent me, my children, my voice, our family, uh, what we we believe in, what we care about? I think Mm -hmm. Bill Maher is absolutely right on that. I think Mm -hmm. it's shocking. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, look, and I know that you have to go like now, um, but look, 
all the polling on Brexit was wrong. Um, and I mean, just in talking to people casually, um, I mean, you saw what was going on on Facebook. It was absolute pandemonium. Yeah. But and, I we had this, do you remember we had this conversation before, you know, before we kind of close it off? We had this conversation and I remember us being on a thread and we were saying, Brexit is winning the war on social media. And bear in mind, right. just, just to be clear, you know, our circles on social media were not kind of what you might call far-right apparchics or anything like that. Right. You know, we, were, we, were, we were watching people who were lifelong lefties mm-hmm. and even gay activists on Twitter saying, I voted for Brexit. Right. I, I'm sorry, on Facebook. And we saw that. And I remember I was talking about this at the time and we were saying, Brexit, we're, we both said this about a month out. I said, Brexit's going to win. Right. You can just tell. You could tell. And this is the thing, David Cameron and George Osborne, even the politicians knew this. Things weren't resonating. You know, mm-hmm. people weren't falling into line. You know when a campaign's going badly for you. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we, we saw that ourselves on Facebook. Right. Just on Facebook, we can see it. And you know, and at me on the streets of the UK, I can see people kind of going, mm-hmm. Well, actually I will vote for Brexit, even though I'm not meant to. And I think that I'm not meant to part actually helped it over the line. Right. Um well, that's a whole other conversation. I'd love to have you on again to talk about Brexit because that was an amazing phenomenon where so yeah. many people were wrong and people like you and me were fighting with people. Like, yeah. okay, I don't mean to take, I don't want you to be insulted, but you just don't, you're not getting the yeah. zeitgeist. You guys need to get out of London and look at the rest of the country and see what people are saying. And We should and do this, that. We should have that combo. I, I'd love yeah. that because, again, you had a situation where people were tarring all the Brexit supporters with the same brush. Oh, you're all white. You're all racist. You know, you're all knuckle-dragging troglodytes, and that's why mm-hmm. you want Brexit. No, actually, the people that I knew in the U.S. whose families in the U.K. were voting for Brexit were all Indian. Their families were in the U.K., and most of them were working professionals, largely doctors, and they all voted in favor of Brexit, and they well, all had very interesting know. reasons. I don't know if I remember showing you the, the video of one of my friends who asked the Prime Minister a question at one mm-hmm. of these hustings, and he said, you know, my family's from India. Uh, they mm-hmm. served Britain in world wars and fighting for that for for your country, mm-hmm. and they are not allowed to come to the e uh, sorry to the UK. Yeah, an EU citizen would be allowed to come for any reason. Why are my family who fought for our country not being allowed in? Mm-hmm. Why why is that the case? And the prime minister didn't really have a good answer because mm-hmm. there isn't a good answer, mm-hmm. and that's what happened. You had lots of Pakistani and Indian people saying, "Why are our families worth less than a Romanian or Lithuanian family?" Right. Actually, in a legal way, it was actually a kind of a, an inequality because mm-hmm. all I really do think this: all immigrants should be assessed mm-hmm. equally, mm-hmm. whether they come from anywhere like Senegal or whether they come from South America or whether they come from, you know, Oceania. Everyone should be assessed equally under the mm-hmm. same criteria. Otherwise, it's just not fair. I don't think. Mm-hmm. Robbie, thank you so much. You are Pleasure. an amazing thank guest. Thank you, Robbie, and we will do this again soon. We better. It was an absolute pleasure. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Robbie. Have a nice day. What do you think? Very, very smart young man. Mm -hmm. I'm assuming he's a young man. Yeah, he is. (laughs) (laughs) I know. A lot going on. A lot. A lot to go over. But, you know... I don't know, Negs. I I know that things look really bad now, but I I have this weird sense that the tide is turning. Um, I think there are too many angry women out there 
the gay community, a lot of members of the gay community are up in arms. People are people have had enough. And honestly, as as soon as these class action suits start and we see the testimony and we see the discovery, it's going to be bad. It's going to be a bloodbath out there. Yeah, I predicted last year. I saw it. It was just a seismic shift. I said the pendulum is swinging back. And my fear was that it was going to swing back with the ferocity because of the liberties that were taken over the last six years really mm -hmm. and like you're saying people are fed up with it so anybody who had a cause that they were uh they were fighting for they just set it back decades mm -hmm. and because now people are going to be afraid to give an inch because people took a literal mile mm -hmm. right all right my love um, I am going to say goodbye to you and goodbye to the audience. I want to thank everybody, whether you are watching live on YouTube or whether you are listening on a streaming service. Thank you so much. And we will be back next week. Bye, everybody. Bye.